Uh, turn tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, please. First Corinthians chapter 16. And we, of course, have reached the last chapter of the book, and we are working our way, actually not this evening, but we will very quickly be turning into the conclusion to the book, and we will finish this up over the next three Wednesday nights. Uh, let's read together verses 1 through 4, and that will be our passage for tonight. Now, now concerning the collection for the saints... As I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. And let's pray. Well, Father, again, we ask for your help in understanding your word. <clears throat> we are thankful that we can read and that we can think, but we acknowledge and submit to your authorship and your intention in the text. Help us to understand it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is apparently the last subject that Paul raises with the Corinthians, or I guess actually a better way to put it, this is the final subject to which Paul responds. Uh, we would understand the framing now concerning the collection for the saints to indicate that there has been some communication already between Paul and the church <clears throat> about this subject matter. Um, <clears throat> And as you know, folks, in the, up, up through chapter 6, Paul talks to the Corinthian church about things that he thinks they need to hear. And beginning in chapter 7, he begins to respond to their questions. Of course, he gives them what they need to hear. But in the first six chapters, he talks to them about things that he has heard, and he, then he talks to them about questions that they have raised. And that, again, seems to be the formula, 7-1, now concerning, 7-25, now concerning. Chapter 8, verse 1, now is touching, although Paul used the same Greek expression. Chapter 12, verse 1, now concerning. And we have it now here in chapter 16 and verse number 1, now concerning. So let's begin, let's just kind of begin with the subject matter, right? I mean, we, we know what it is, but, but let's talk about it. The subject matter is discussed in verse number one. Now concerning the collection for the saints. <clears throat> collection for the saints. And in verse number four, if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me, because this is a collection for the saints that is going to Jerusalem. And I just want to pause here and talk briefly about this. Because it is a never-ending source of amazement to me, the conclusions that some of the commentators draw, good men, who I would argue should probably have thought more carefully about this subject matter. This is not about the tithe. That's not the problem. 
The problem is that so many people, because this is not about the tithe, have come to the conclusion that the New Testament never talks about the tithe. And again, I'm just flabbergasted that so many good commentators come to 16.1, go, this is the collection for the saints, and therefore there's no such thing as the tithe. And I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because we're dealing with 1 Corinthians, and our subject matter is the subject matter of the text. But I would point out that in Matthew 23.23, Jesus validates the use of the tithe, and that the clearest endorsement of it is actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in which Paul points out that just as the Levitical system operated on the offerings of the people through the tithe, that the New Testament church is funded in the same way, the work of the ministry. And folks, if the only kind of offering that the New Testament recognizes is a collection for the saints, how would you expect that a New Testament church would continue to survive? We are not nourished on heavenly dollars. There is no supernatural source of income that flows into the church bank account that makes the contribution and participation of God's people unnecessary. And it's not as if, folks, the church is given some kind of authority to invent some product to sell. Right? Maybe, maybe we should go into Bible publication or Christian movie production for the raising of revenue. But the offerings of God's people have always been the means that God has used to perpetuate his ministry. Now, <clears throat> the tithe is generally objected to in the New Testament along two lines. Number one, the amount is Old Testament, <clears throat> 10%. Um, but I would simply point out that the tithe existed long before the law did, and it is the benchmark pattern set by Abraham. And secondly, and perhaps more arguably, is the idea that any kind of giving is mandatory. That seems to be in the minds of most people the great objection that this is the age of grace and under the law tithing was mandatory and we live under the age of grace. And I would just ask you folks, would you really interpret that to mean that there are never any mandates levied upon us? That because we live under the age of grace that everything is now optional for us? Does, does any sincere believer really take that position? Clearly, we live under the reign of grace. Paul is very clear about that in Romans chapter 5. What does, what does that have to do with obligation and mandate? There are folks, there are almost 100 active imperative verbs simply in the pastoral epistles. Not all of them are related to our fetus things that we have to do. Some of those are things that have to happen. But in those three books, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, there are almost 100 imperative verbs. This has to happen. Many of them are, you have to do this. You have to do this. So the notion 
that we can somehow dismiss financial obligations on the basis that they are all entirely voluntary simply will not bear, bear the weight of anything else. Folks, it's not, it's not voluntary for us to be morally pure. It is not voluntary for us to not be thieves and liars. It's not like in the age of grace, lying becomes something that you shouldn't do, but it's your call as to whether or not you want to do it. We all live under the weight of imperative. The reign of grace, folks, makes obedience possible in a way that is acceptable to God. It doesn't make obedience optional. So anyway, that's all I want to say <clears throat> about that. This is not a passage about the tithe. And that doesn't mean that there isn't a tithe. It simply means this is not a passage about the tithe. And it is not a passage about the tithe. This is a passage about taking a collection for poor saints in a very, very faraway place. To Paul then, <clears throat> folks, this is not simply a matter of money, which again tends to be the way that some people view financial things as matters of money. To Paul, this is a matter of ministry. Of all the ways that there are to minister, this is one of them. It is not the only one, but it is one. The, the need originated, if, if you'll we'll hold your place in Corinthians or however you want to get back to Corinthians, but if you'll turn back to Acts chapter 11, we have here the foundation for this offering that is something that Paul takes up in the churches to which he travels. Acts chapter 11 and verse number 27. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And of course you know that the, the church had its foundation at Jerusalem. And uh, in Acts chapter 8, God allowed a persecution to come and disperse the people. And the church of Jerusalem had such a difficult time freeing itself from its Judaistic roots that God relocated the headquarters of the church to Antioch, moving it far away. That kind of became Gentile headquarters of the church, or really the headquarters of the church, which is not supposed to be divided Jew or Gentile. And so we have people coming from Jerusalem to Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth or famine throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and send it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So there's, there's the, the root of it, is this famine that is coming upon Jerusalem. And so Paul then, as he travels through these regions, is actively taking an offering on behalf of those saints. So it is a ministry. <clears throat> it is a ministry. And if you look back at Acts chapter 16 and verse number 1, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. 
And this is yet again, folks, Paul's observation and instruction to the church at Corinth that they are not unique. And I repeat myself again and again and again. It is very common in our modern world to come to some of the subject matters that are raised in 1 Corinthians and argue that they don't count because that was then and this is now. And Paul was dealing with cultural issues. This is particularly true when it comes to the role of women in ministry. This is particularly true when it comes to the matter of head coverings that Paul has addressed. Well, that was then, and that was an old culture. And we live in a modern world, and our culture is different. But folks, about a half a dozen times in the book of Corinthians, Paul points out that he is simply teaching the Corinthians what he teaches every other church to do. And it is binding upon every other church. Paul had in, so Paul had instructed the churches in Galatia about this. The resolution had begun in Acts chapter 11. Paul talks to the Romans about this. Although he had not even been to Rome. You can turn to it if you want. Romans 15.24 Whenever I, Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey and be brought on my way thitherward by you, which, by the way, is a financial expression. If first I be somewhat filled with your company, but now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. Now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia, which is where Corinth is. It is in the region of Achaia, Greece to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things, material things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain." And so the language that Paul uses when he talks about this kind of offering, folks, is always to some extent financial in nature. We're talking about money. But it is primarily ministerial in nature. I'm going to Jerusalem to serve the saints of Jerusalem. And I'm going to serve them by bringing them this financial contribution And we see this same language used with reference to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in where Paul calls it a grace. This is a grace that is given. And he calls it a fellowship in 2 Corinthians 8.4. It is a fellowship, something held in common. Well, let me just ask you to do this, rather than me just blather on. Turn, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Second Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 8.1, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So here is the grace of God upon them to do what? How that in a great trial of affliction, <clears throat> the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. 
For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God, insomuch that we desire Titus at that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. So it is a ministry. It is a fellowship. It is a grace. 2 Corinthians 8 9. It is a Christ-like activity. 2 Corinthians 9 1. It is a ministry opportunity. 2 Corinthians 9 10 and 11. It is a ministry opportunity. So folks, I would be remiss in in my pastoral duties if I did not point out to you that financial generosity is not simply a financial transaction on your part. It is not like making a house payment or a car payment or tuition payments. It is ministry. It is a ministry that is God's gift to us. So back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. The subject matter is a collection for poor saints. Paul views it and teaches it as a ministry, not simply a matter of money. And because it is a ministry, there is a structure that must be followed. There's a structure to this ministry. The word collection used in 1 Corinthians 16.1, we have in our English simply the word collection. It is a good word. It is found also in 16.2. There be no gatherings when I come. These are the only places in the New Testament that the words are found, and they always refer to a collection for poor. That is what they mean. They're a collection for the poor. Paul imposes upon the Corinthians not only the obligation to participate, but the obligation to participate in an orderly fashion. Verse number one, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. That's the word that we find Jesus used, the Bible using about Jesus in Matthew 11.1 1, when he commanded the twelve. I've commanded the Galatians. It's found in Luke 17.9. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? In Acts 18.2, Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And here in 16.1, what I have commanded in Galatia, I am commanding in Corinth. I am giving an order. And Paul, part of the mandate, folks, is, a, is something that is for all believers in Corinth. Everybody is to have a part in this. This is part of the command. Notice the plural wording there at the end of verse number one. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. 
And in our King James Bible, ye is not trying to be cute or archaic. Ye is grammatically distinct. It is a plural word. The King James Bible uses the word you a lot. When it's talking singular, individual, it uses you. When it's talking to a bunch of people, it uses the plural. And the plural is ye. Upon the first day of the week, verse number two, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. And that word lay is a verb, and it is an imperative tense verb. Although it is a ministry, it is a mandatory ministry. Everybody will participate. Not everybody will participate equally, but equally all will participate. In Romans 15, 27, which I will not go back and reread, Paul pointed out that it was an obligation levied upon us. Right? We are their debtors. We have an obligation to them. We have received from them spiritual things. We have an obligation to them carnally or materially. Folks, this is not new. This is not radical. This is not legalism. This is just simply New Testament Christianity. It is the way that God has organized and orchestrated things from the beginning of time that there is at some level because we are material people requiring material sustenance that there is a ministerial value, a material value to spiritual work. Pastors are worth their wage. Clear as a bell Bible. Pastors are worth their wage. Poor saints are worth the offering. Clear as a bell. Clear as a bell. And it is mandatory for this to be done systematically, verse number two. All right, here's part of the order. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Now, there are two questions, folks, not about the obligation part, but there are two questions that arise from verse number two. When you start to get into the commentaries and the books and the, right? Question number one is, where? Where are these obligatory, obligatory offerings to be stored? Verse number two, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. Did Paul expect that on the first day of the week you would set aside some money to which you held on so that you had this money available? Or is Paul suggesting that it be entrusted to the church? On the first day of the week, let every one of you lay in store. Now I think that because Paul is doing it on the Lord's day when the church meets, that what Paul is arguing is that upon the first day of the week, this money should be given to the church so that the church is in possession of it. That the money be entrusted to the church. I would point out, folks, that biblically God has no other clearinghouse for ministry money than the church. 
That's another subject, and I'm going to tackle that in the not-too-distant future going down the road. But God has no other program but the church. The second question that arises, right? So one question, when we come to the text and we start looking at the grammar, we, we ask the question, where is this money that is obligated to be laid aside? Where is it to be laid aside? And some people take the position that you have to lay it in store, that it is up to you to keep on, hang on to it, it is up to you to be accumulating it, and that you are to do this upon the first day of the week. And others argue, and that would be where I would probably stand, is that because it's the first day of the week, that the money is to be handed over to the church coffers, so to speak. Question number two is when. The imperative, folks, in the text is laying by himself in store. The imperative is not on the first day of the week. And so there is kind of a grammatical debate as to whether the first day of every week dominates the answer or whether as God has prospered you dominates the answer. And again, there are a variety of answers that are given. What is mandatory is the offering. Everybody is mandated to lay in store something. The amount is where the difference is. As God hath prospered him. As God has prospered him. So Paul does not expect that every week, every person is going to be able to designate the same amount of money for this offering. But Paul does expect that every week, every person will be involved in the offering at some level. The amount of prosperity will differ. And, and you'll see here, folks, right in, in this passage, you really have two forces. We find them all the time, side by side in the Scripture. This frequently trips us up. Right? We have God taking responsibility for something as God has prospered him. And we find God laying an obligation to man. Everybody participate. So that this is not one of those things, folks, where you get to go, well, you know what, I'm going to pray about whether this is something that God has for me. Let me just tell you, God has this for you. Okay? That's as, that's as clear as could be. This is for you. If you're a believer, this is for you. You don't need to pray about it. You don't even really need to think about it. The only question that is there is, folks, is whether or not we are going to submit to it. That's the only question. But then God has a part because he does not prosper us all equally. And I would point out, folks, that what we have right here, right, is the men, minimum mandatory requirement. And if you go to 2 Corinthians 8, what set them apart was that they exceeded the requirement. Right? This was right. Paul had taught this. Paul had taught this same thing in the churches of Galatia. Look, everybody has to be involved. There's an obligation to help these people. God has prospered us. You get into that matter of prosperity in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Now, he that ministers bread to the sower, he that ministers bread to the sower, where does the farmer get his raw materials? God. Right? 
The God who gives the farmer raw materials has the ability to multiply what is sown so that there is enough to eat and some to give. That's the way it is supposed to work. Here is what I would argue in basic is the mandate. It is mandatory that you and I be prepared financially and spiritually to minister to others regularly as the need arises. This was, folks, a, a, I don't want to say an unusual situation, but this was a really big deal, the kind of thing that most churches in America are not dealing with on a regular basis. I mean, this was one thing that involved the entirety of the Christian world, and there are just not a lot of those that come up. But there is a pattern that is being set. It is mandatory that we live in such a way that we be able to help, that we be ready and able to help. And again, we can quibble about whether you should be laying that money up and letting the church hold on to it, or whether you should be holding on to it systematically and regularly. But there should not be any question as about our individual involvement in that kind of financial giving. And Paul is all doing all of this so that there is no gathering when he comes. So that there's no gathering when he comes. And there's, again, you know, there's just a lot of, I think, much of it worthwhile, but there's some question as to why Paul doesn't want to wait until he gets there to receive the offering. And I think part of it most certainly would have to be that if we were, folks, individually, systematically setting aside as God had prospered us, that would be a larger amount than if we just did it all at once for most people. But it also eliminates any of the things that we tend to associate with this kind of giving. Paul's not going to come in and be able to give some big emotional appeal. And nobody is going to be able to use pressure tactics. Paul wants to avoid all that, folks. He wants to build this in to the practice of the believer that we are systematically, regularly, thoughtfully, as a reflection of our understanding of ministry, being prepared financially towards these kinds of things. So that when the need is there, the money is there. No gatherings when I come. Now, you could make the case, right, that a church like Westwood Heights, which has very full coffers, that all of that is covered and we try to be very generous. But I would just refer back, folks, to the fact that Paul expects all believers to participate and not to allow the generosity of others to become a substitute for our own participation. Going back to the text, because it is a financial ministry, not only must it be 
given properly, 16.1 and 2. It must be handled properly, 16.3 and 4. So it is not just in the collection of the money that we want to be biblical and God-honoring. It is in the distribution and the handling of the money that we want to be God-honoring. 16.3, when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. Because, of course, folks, we know, right? There's, there's, no, there's no mail service, reliable mail service. There's no electronic uh, checks. There's no Venmo or Zelle or Bill Pay or your bank website. Somebody's, somebody's going to gather up several sacks of coins and carry them to Jerusalem. Verse number four, and if it be meet, if it be suitable that I go also, they shall go with me. In 2 Corinthians 8.16, Paul writes, But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. For indeed he accepted the exhortation, but being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. And we have sent with him the brother, whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace, which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord, and declaration of your ready mind, avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this abundance which is administered by us, providing for honest things not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. So not only, folks, are we to be gathering this in obedience to the scriptural orders, which is a systematic setting aside of money that God has prospered us out of our abundance. When it is time to distribute that money, it must also be done in such a way that is honest in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And you can see, folks, from and with, I'm not going to take us back to 2 Corinthians 8, but you can see that the, that the church, Paul was attentive to the fact that the churches were attentive to the careful, it was good men with good reports who had been selected by the churches, men who could be entrusted and, and felt, felt the church felt comfortable in entrusting to them what was most certainly a large sum of money. I mean, we have an entire region. We have, we have an entire city that is in great need of ministry, the city of Jerusalem. And so, right, so they have, there has obviously been communication um, because Paul is raising the issue with them. Now concerning this collection, he has been setting forth how he wants them to do it and how he wants all churches to do it, which is systematically, regularly, personally, and he wants it to be distributed the same kind of way. So I'm going to stop there this evening again. Lots of questions about the text and about the handling.